Good evening. NASA says no to a practice moon launch. Inspectors are heading to a nuclear plant under fire in Ukraine. The downside of the climate deal, the rights of COVID patients. Does New York have quarantine camps for the unvaccinated? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Monday, August 29th, 2022. NASA called off the launch of its mighty new moon rocket on its debut flight with three test dummies aboard today after a last-minute cascade of problems culminating in unexplained trouble relating to an engine. The next launch attempt won't take place until Friday at the earliest and could be delayed until mid-September or later. NASA repeatedly stopped and started the fueling of the Space Launch System rocket because of a leak of highly explosive hydrogen, eventually succeeding in reducing the seepage, then it was unable to properly chill one of the rocket's four main engines. But NASA Administrator Bill Nelson says it's all par for the course in what is essentially a test flight meant to put the new rocket through its paces before it begins its mission of flying astronauts to the moon. I want to say that uh, understand that scrubs are just a part of this program. Uh, on the f- space flight that I participated in, Uh, Hoot Gibson, the commander, 36 and a half years ago, we scrubbed four times on the pad. It was the better part of a month. Uh, And looking back, had we, uh, after the fifth try, got off to a perfect uh, mission, uh, it would have not been a good day had we launched on any one of those four scrubs. So when you're dealing in a high-risk business and space flight is risky, uh, that's what you do. You buy down that risk, you make it as safe as possible, and of course, that is the whole reason for this test flight, to stress it and to test it, to make sure it's as safe as possible. When Artemis II, when we put humans in the spacecraft. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson. The 322-foot spaceship is the most powerful rocket ever built by NASA, outsizing even their Saturn V that took the Apollo astronauts to the moon half a century ago. Assuming the shakedown flight goes well, astronauts will climb aboard for the second Artemis mission and fly around the moon and back as soon as 2024. A two-person lunar landing could follow by the end of 2025. Artemis, by the way, was the sister of the Greek god Apollo. The moon mission is seen as a first step towards the eventual colonization of Mars. And a team of inspectors from the United Nations nuclear watchdog is due to arrive tonight en route to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine. In recent weeks, shelling between Russian troops who have occupied the power plant and Ukrainian troops has struck fear that there could be a nuclear disaster. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA chief Rafael Grossi is leading a team to inspect damage to the plant. A spokesperson for the Russian Defense Ministry accused Ukraine of flying an explosive drone that damaged the building where spent nuclear fuel is kept. The Kyiv regime continues provocations aimed to create technological disaster at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. On 28th August, Ukrainian forces used an unmanned aircraft to deliver a strike against the territory of the facility. The Ukrainian strike drone was shot down by small arms fire as it approached Special Facility No. 1, which is the storage site of U.S.-made nuclear fuel and solid radioactive waste. 
The Ukrainian strike drone downed by Russian forces fell on the roof of special facility number one. No one was hurt and no serious damage was done to the infrastructure. The Russian Defense Ministry spokesman through an interpreter. A spokesperson for Ukraine's government says the delegation is due to visit the plant from Wednesday through Saturday, even as missiles and shells are raining down in areas around the power station and nearby towns. Both Ukraine and Russia have accused each other of shelling the plant. Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitro Kuleba. We expect from the mission a clear statement of uh, facts of violation of all of nuclear safety protocols. We know that uh, Russia is uh, putting not only Ukraine but also entire world at threat, at risk <coughs> of a nuclear accident. Uh, I do not have any specific update on the on the links, on the leaks. Uh, but this is uh, uh, exactly for the IAEA mission to uh, inspect the situation and to come to conclusions. Dmitro Kuleba is Ukraine's foreign minister. Last week, a power outage endangered the plant. Nuclear power plants must have an independent source of electricity to run crucial systems. That power went out, but was eventually restored before the plant was damaged. Engineers have 90 minutes to restore power to stop the reactor from overheating. And in a major victory, President Joe Biden signed a law earlier this month to fight climate change, lower drug prices, and raise some corporate taxes. The bill contains $370 billion for climate change and is the largest amount ever earmarked to counter the rise in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, driving melt melting ice, driving melting ice, rising seas, and extreme weather events. The bill is called the Inflation Reduction Act. It puts a cap on out-of-pocket drug expenses for Medicare recipients, including a $35 maximum payment for life-saving insulin. The bill increases IRS enforcement of tax laws and creates a 15% minimum corporate tax rate and a 1% tax on corporations that buy their own stocks to drive up prices. All 50 Democratic senators voted for the bill. The tiebreaker was Vice President Kamala Harris. It passed in the House down the party line, 220 to 207. Two conservative Democratic holdouts in the Senate, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, voted for the bill. But some activists say the compromises needed to sway the two are potentially destructive to the environment. More than 100 climate activists blockaded Senate Majority Leader Schumer's Manhattan offices last week protesting the deal. About 10 people were arrested. Joe Manchin is not working for the American people, and he should not be negotiating. Corruption! Petroleum Institute. Right. should not be making a deal with all that. Senator. Let's take a moment. Let's hear. What kind of deals do we want to be What do we want? 
One of the activists who was detained is Santosh Nandabalan, a senior organizer with Food and Water Watch. He says the bill includes compromises that could allow blocked climate-destroying pipelines to move forward. We're in a, a really important moment. Um, as everyone knows now, the Democrats passed uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, but what's not getting as much of a, a magnifying glass uh, is a dirty side deal between Senator Manchin and Senator Schumer um, to fast-track dangerous pipelines, really outdated fossil fuel infrastructure, um, and gut our environmental review processes that uh, we have uh, to ensure that these climate-harming, really bad environmental projects um, uh, go through. Uh, we, we need to have a say in that, especially for projects like the Mountain Valley Pipeline, uh, so that they don't get built and we don't steep our uh, country and, and our, the, the world into more uh, climate chaos. So I was out there alongside with a lot of strong allies uh, to send a message to Senator Schumer to make sure he votes down this dirty side deal and that we stay the course um, we need to fight climate change, and we need to be strong about that. He knows this stuff is bad. He's come out against fossil fuel infrastructure in New York, like the Storia Energy Power Plant, like the Williams Pipeline. We need to make sure that he continues to do this good stuff and not the bad stuff. Climate change is upon us. We know it's getting worse because of fossil fuels. If we steepen our reliance on fossil fuels, it's only going to hurt us. So if we are serious about fighting climate change, we simply cannot accept this deal. Biden got the support in Schumer, of course, in the Senate of Manchin and Cinema by making these kind of deals. People are forgetting, right? It's Manchin that's really backstabbed us. We had a, a much stronger Build Back Better bill that was put forward before us uh, to send a message now to Democratic voters that we're not going to take climate change seriously is a really bad message to send before the midterm elections. We want to pick up, we want to grow the influence we can have to take on climate change. The way to do that is not to continue dirty politics, it's to take constituent voices seriously and prioritize our climate. So that's what this action and really this escalation to arrests is meant to set the stage for, that we need him to vote down this deal and it's gonna happen one way or another. What you're talking about, in a way, is similar to what happened down at the uh, East River Park where a deal was worked out and the community had input and then, boom, they went silent. What is it when you go silent nowadays? What do they say when it is uh, you disappear, you get ghosted? They got ghosted <laughs> by the yeah. government. And then, boom, they came up with another plan and rammed it down everybody's throat. I mean, is this what you're trying to fight, this kind of thing? This kind of dirty politics, it's similar, right? We, we want to make sure that uh, politicians are following their words. So this is Senator Schumer, someone that very concretely knows we can't be steeping our reliance on fossil fuels. And he's someone who's come to rallies with us. He's someone that's stood against infrastructure here in the state. Politics is a game that, that is dirty, and we need to make sure that in order to prevent really large corporate fossil fuel industry interests from controlling our policy, we need to take drastic action. Some of these projects you're worried about. A big one that's getting looked at is the Mountain Valley Pipeline, right? This is a failing frack gas project in the Appalachia that's been in a real battle, grassroots battle, for years on end. There's similar projects, like in New York City, 
the Williams pipeline has been stopped. There's fears that this might resurface if a side deal were to go through. It's really these big pipeline projects, big power plant projects that are concerned for us, that we know states have had the purview in the past to stop them. We are now concerned we're going in the wrong direction if we fast track the permitting. Santosh Nandabalan is a senior organizer with Food and Water Watch. The arrested activists were represented by attorney Ron Kuby. And in health news, United States Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor today denied an appeal from New York City Police Department Detective Anthony Marciano. Marciano asked for an emergency injunction to keep the city from firing him over its mandate that municipal employees be vaccinated against the coronavirus. Marciano refused a shot, although he didn't qualify for a medical or religious exemption. There have been more than 1,000 New York City employees fired for refusing the vaccines, and some requests for exemptions have yet to be decided. Legal challenges to the rules have mostly been unsuccessful. In more COVID news, the Biden administration released two reports on long COVID, a long-lasting and debilitating disease affecting some people who contract COVID. HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra says long COVID can hinder an individual's ability to work, attend school, participate in community life, and engage in everyday activities. As many as 23 million Americans might have the disease, which can last for months and is little understood. But Kristen Orquiza says the government isn't going far enough. Urquiza is a co-founder of the group Marked by COVID, an organization named after the death of her father, Mark, from the disease. It advocates for the needs of those people most harmed by the pandemic, mostly the poor and people of color. I spoke with Urquiza earlier today. Well, I lost my dad pretty early on in the pandemic, and I first of all needed to connect with people who believed the virus was real, that were empathetic to the fact that I had just gone through the most horrific experience of my life. We began as a network of bereaved individuals who were having this front row seat to a disaster that half the country didn't believe was true. We all had a lot of anger about not only losing our loved ones, but the conditions that got us to this pandemic in the first place. From there, we've leveled up to professionalize ourselves to become the largest advocacy arm for the tens of millions of people who are severely impacted by COVID to ensure that whatever comes next, whatever happens after this pandemic is in the rearview mirror, that we don't repeat the same mistakes that made this so bad to begin with. A million people have died. Hundreds of people are still dying. And tens of millions of people are sick from long-term COVID complications. This is not normal. Mark by COVID is ensuring that we don't write this pandemic off as if it was not a big deal because it was a monumental deal. What is it that is makes it necessary to have this organization? I was thinking about 9-11 earlier today as we approach that, that holiday or that moment in time that is sort of thought of and revered and never forgotten. I remember very clearly where I was and what I was doing after 9-11 happened. And I personally wasn't impacted at all, even though I lived close to New York and had friends that were from there. 
And we completely changed our government. We created new departments. We changed the way that we approached airline travel. Similarly, we need a whole reimagination of society to ensure that public health isn't an afterthought, that whenever disaster hits, whether that's Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Sandy or the next superbug or virus or bacteria, that we are able to make decisions that really prioritize life as much as we prioritize GDP. What we've seen is that there has been a push to go back to normal. There's been a push to reopen states. There's been a push to pretend that people's actual lives, their ability to live, that their health is in danger. And so when I think about why it is on the scale of a landscape changing events as a world war, as a terrorist attack, this public health crisis that we've all been through and are severely impacted by. Those folks who firmly believe that the injuries, the true injuries are coming from the forced, what they consider forced They don't even use the term vaccination, but forced vaccinations in their minds. The largest harm that I see right in this moment is people being forced to go back to work without sick pay, without job security, that if they get sick, they can take time off and be able to recover. Millions of people who are living with long-term covid or long COVID that are unable to work or working reduced hours and are falling into financial disarray. These are the people who are continuing to have already suffered and are continuing to suffer from the decisions that we are making as Americans, as a country that's built upon these foundational documents. We need to do more to ensure that folks are protected during these really uncertain times of communicable diseases that are kind of left unchecked. Kirsten Urquiza is a co-founder of Marked by COVID, a group that advocates for the need of those most harmed by the pandemic. In more news, is it possible that New York State Governor Kathy Hochul, the moderate Democrat from Buffalo who rose to office after shamed Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned, is willing and able to put thousands of New Yorkers in special quarantine camps if they're deemed carriers of a dangerous disease? A law to that effect was dropped by its sponsor, but opponents of the measure say since Hochul can't pass the law, she's using a regulatory backdoor to get the same power through a much easier to implement regulation. Meanwhile, a group of activists feels the true victims of COVID and any future transmissible disease are not just the thousands who've died, but the millions required to take the COVID vaccine, whether they want to or not, because of government mandates. Martha Rowan is a candidate for New York State Senate in the 26th District in Brooklyn. She's a member of the recently formed independent party called the Medical Freedom Party. The party says their mission is to bring the issue of bodily autonomy and individuals' basic rights to decide on health care for themselves and their children to the public. In other words, they believe vaccine mandates are a danger to health and the Constitution. I'm running because over the last two and a half years or more, it's been extremely disturbing to see what's happening to our society and the future of our children. 
with increasing, I don't hesitate to use the word totalitarian measures. We have a governor who is continually reinstituting a state of emergency that never seems to end. She is appealing a decision by the court that her plans to institute camps for people that she alone, with nothing from doctors or any kind of due process, can decide a health risk, just on her own say-so, put them into camps for as long as she wants. Pretty strong statement. There are called quarantine camps, a reality. If there was an attempt... Who these quarantine camps, from your understanding? Where, who are they for? How, what anyone that the governor decides on her own initiative is at risk to public health. That is a very broad definition. It doesn't say that a team of doctors has decided that this person has been has been diagnosed with some kind of a serious infectious disease, which is extremely dangerous, and they're going around coughing in people's faces. No, she gets to decide this on her own, and it's also undefined. She could decide, I suppose, that somebody like me, who not only does not want to take this so-called vaccine, but who thinks that other people should have a right to refuse it, is a risk to public health because she thinks that people should be forced to take it. Okay, let me ask you about your party, the Medical Freedom Party. What is the purpose and what's going on with the Medical Freedom Party? The Medical Freedom Party is the political division of the Medical Freedom Alliance. We're a group of New Yorkers who have gotten together over the last few years to educate ourselves and to talk about ways to deal with the situation with this oppression and problems with all the issues with COVID. We decided that one of the ways in which we could be active was through politics, and several people in the group looked into what politics involved. They became involved in other people's campaigns, and then we decided maybe perhaps we should consider forming a third party. We made the decision on the day after Easter that we would form the Medical Freedom Party. And since then, we have gotten through going out Just going out and getting petition signatures among the public, we've got eight candidates on on the ballot in November. Because people really are beginning to say, what's going on here? Why can't I make my own decisions? Why am I being thrown out of my job? Because I don't feel that it's safe for me to take this shot. You were instrumental in drafting a letter sent to the New York City Health Department, Mayor Adams, and the City Council. It it is a letter addressed to the commissioner of the New York City Department of Public Health and and Mental Hygiene. Uh, Because when we looked at their page where they give advice to parents of children and uh, pushing, actually very aggressively pushing parents to get they're, they're young children, and we're talking about babies six months old and older, to get this so-called vaccine. Basically, the, what they have on the website is just full of misinformation. We consider it dangerous. Their claims that children are at huge risk from COVID is completely unjustified. Young children are extremely low risk. 
Martha Rowan is the Medical Freedom Party candidate for New York State Senate in the 26th District in Brooklyn. In more local news, the New York City Council passed legislation last week creating a maternal health bill of rights, mandating education and maternal health issues and other measures aiming to improve birth outcomes. Maternal health disparities have gained increased attention among city officials in recent years and are a stated priority of the Adams administration. Mayor Eric Adams spoke about the bills today. And the numbers are clear. Black women are nine times more likely to die of pregnancy-related causes than white women in New York City. That is an alarming, unacceptable number. It is not acceptable for mothers to be dying at the moment. We should be welcoming a new life. We must do right by every mother and every baby. New York City is taking action to support women and ensure their safety. Mayor Adams. New York City public advocate Jumani Williams is the primary sponsor of the legislation creating the Maternal Health Bill of Rights. Other measures in the package require the city to do educational outreach around the benefits of doulas and midwives and to teach pregnant New Yorkers about conditions that can cause pregnancy complications. And finally, the NYPD officer who bragged about ripping down the face mask of a Brooklyn protester and pepper sprayed him in the face in the early days of the George Floyd protests in New York City will not face discipline for the use of force. Instead, Officer Michael Schur was docked 10 vacation days for failing to file a proper paperwork about his spraying of protester Andrew Smith and others for not informing his supervisor about his actions. The May ruling was recently made public. Schur is also one of 65 police personnel whom the Civilian Complaint Review Board separately found to have used significant unnecessary force against protesters during the spring of 2020 in the wake of the police killing of Floyd in Minnesota. The mayor, a former cop noted for his return to more police-friendly policies in the city, said in this case he was outraged by the slap on the wrist. There were, t- there were probably three incidents that I witnessed during the protests that were horrific. Uh, that was one of them. That was one of them. To pull down the mask of a person and mace them in that manner really violated the trust. And it really damaged the credibility of the number of officers that in spite of being yelled at, being cursed at, had things thrown at them, they showed the discipline. There was no reason for, uh, for that officer to carry that out. Uh, the com- commissioner, I'm sure she reviewed it. Uh, the recommendations, where it came from, I will have a conversation with her because this is the first time I'm hearing about it. But that was the poster child of what destroyed, I believe, uh, the good work that many of those officers carried out. I was in the street those days. I saw how challenging it was. I saw how difficult it was. And the overwhelming number of officers did not perform like that. Cher used pepper spray against Smith and five other protesters in the span of about 10 minutes on May 30, 2020, as officers were escorting a police cruiser holding an arrested protester through a huge crowd in Flatbush. Of the 14 serious use of force CCRB cases with known disciplinary outcomes, half ended with the NYPD, which has the final say on officer discipline, imposing no penalty. And that's some of the news for Monday, August 29, 2022. The news was produced, written, and anchored by Paul DiRienzo. You can find the news of Paul DiRienzo at pauldirienzo.com. That's Paul, D-E-R-I-E-N-Z-O. That's Paul, D-E-R-I-E-N-Z-O.com. 
It's also on Apple Podcasts. Some of your favorite. Uh, it's also on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. You can reach me at pdirienzo at gmail.com.